Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's one of the interviews from the stage of Code Commerce 2017 in New York City. If you like it, please leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay. This is a smart, good-looking, intelligent crowd. So everyone knows what affiliate links are, right? Someone backstage didn't know. I don't want to embarrass them. Does anyone not know what affiliate links are? All right, we can continue then. Um, so you guys are doing stuff that is similar and then very different, but primarily you're both making money right now from affiliate links. Am I summing the business up correctly? Yes. Um, these, are, these are both relatively new gigs for you. Six months for you, yep. David, running Wirecutter at the Times. And Ben, you've been at this for about a year. Yeah, and we, we do affiliate, but we also do, we do other stuff. We'll talk about that as well. Yeah. But the, the core of your business, right, is someone is on BuzzFeed, someone's on the Wirecutter of the Times. They're looking at a story about something. They see a link to a product they're interested in learning more about. They click on the link. They end up probably at Amazon. Um, and then you guys make some money from that transaction. Did I sum up your business model correctly? Sums up the affiliate business model. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Um, why are you guys in that business? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start. Feel free to jump Do in. It. But, um, it's not a new idea, right? Yeah, it's been around no, for a while. It's been around for a while. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it from both angles. I think from a, from a reader perspective, one of the reasons it works so well is that what we're in the business of doing is trying to help people make a purchase decision. So people are coming to us and saying, what's the best Wi-Fi router? Or what's the best pillow? Whatever it may be. And you know, those searches are oftentimes starting um, in Google or, or somewhere else. And when they get to that point, we're in the business of helping them complete that transaction and, and make that decision. And that business model, that affiliate business model lines up really nicely because if we do our job and we help that reader, they end up purchasing and we get a cut of the, of the transaction. On the other side of it, we just think that performance marketing in general is a, is a, big, uh, a big growing um, opportunity from a business perspective. Um, it's trackable, it's performance-based, ad blocker's not blocking it, that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and for, on the affiliate side, uh, BuzzFeed has a massive audience, uh, and we, we approach it a little bit differently than the wire cutter in that uh, people aren't necessarily seeking out the products we're uh, serving up. Uh, we are uh, creating content that uh, is very in line with the way BuzzFeed would create any sort of content, things that are inherently shareable, that speak to people's identity and so on, and sometimes that may collect itself in, in a 21 things for elephant yeah, lovers me, that you can't live without. Give me an example of a, of, a, of a highly trafficked or high, uh, high revenue, either one, you can decide. Uh, I mean, our uh, elephant lover post is one of our top performing. It's <laughs> elephant what? Uh, it's like top gifts for elephant lovers. I forget how many we found. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it, was a, it was a huge post, right? Because there are people who love elephants or pineapples or uh, you know kitchen gadgets you didn't know you could live without. Um, these aren't necessarily things people are searching for in Google, uh, which is what these guys just dominate on, uh, but they are things that are unique products that you could share with your friend who may like elephants. David, what's a super successful wire cutter post? I think what we do really well um, are those items that are a little bit different than you know, what elephant lovers love, which is, I need this thing in my life. You know, can you just help me make that decision quickly? So a lot of the stuff that I would almost class, classify as like the boring, like Wi-Fi routers, um, mattresses, air conditioning units, air purifiers, um, you know, kitchen items. These are things that everybody needs, and they just want to as quickly as possible make that decision. This is a business the Times bought about a year ago. Yep. Um, a lot of people have been looking at this business model. Gawker's been doing it for a while. I think Fox Media, where I work, is interested in it. Why did you guys buy uh, Wirecutter instead of building this out? 
from the outside, it looks like Wirecutter is very good at what they do, but it's primarily a bunch of writers and editors and then some contract people writing about stuff they care and are knowledgeable about. It seems like the Times could make that themselves. You know, we um, just maybe even taking a little bit of a step back when um, a couple of years ago we released a document called Our Path Forward talking about the strategy of the Times overall. And one of the realizations we came to is that we wanted to be, you know, a consumer-oriented consumer revenue company. We already were that, but to actually kind of crystallize it in strategy and say we're a subscription service first. And in doing that, we realized there were many different moments that we felt the Times could serve readers. What to buy was one of those things. We have things like what to cook and yep. you know, entertainment. And just to then kind of get to the heart of what you're asking, we looked, do we want to build this or do we want to buy this? And when we looked out there, we felt like what Brian Lamb and team had built was what we would have done um, if, if we could have. And instead of going and trying to recreate the wheel and take five years to get there, which is essentially what Brian had done building it up with the team, we, re we recognized a kindred spirit, and I think that was the thing where he wasn't looking to sell, and we, we started the conversation over He's a long time. He's kind of looking to sell. Yeah, kind of. But so you guys pay him $25, $30 million, and you, it speeds it up for you guys. And it's one of the bigger deals the Times has done in sort of this era of the, the paper, right? I can't, uh, I, I'm actually not sure about like relative deal sizes and, and that sort of thing, but it was a big investment for us, and I think, you know, it was. Uh, high priority to make sure that this worked for, for the company. And Ben, I know that you don't. I know you do stuff beyond affiliate links, but but when you came on, sure. Uh, John Prodi said, "Hey, I'd like you to create an affiliate link business for me." Or did that already exist? And you were no, gonna... it existed about February last year, February 16. Uh, we started to really sort of organize around creating service-based content that surface products uh, that our audience would find interesting. And that's, uh, it's primarily uh, run by, uh, by our entertainment group under, under Zay Frank by, uh, by someone named Jess Probus who does a phenomenal job, a fairly large staff of writers uh, finding these uh, products and serving them up in an, interesting, uh, in an interesting way. So Amazon is the dominant provider for you guys, right? If it, most often, I'm assuming the majority of the revenue that you guys generate from this stuff is coming from links that send people to Amazon? I mean, Amazon's the big player in this space. Um, I yes. mean, they do a decent job with e-commerce. Yeah. yeah, they're pretty big. Yeah. I've heard of them. Yeah. So um, you guys are then dependent on Amazon for the for the majority of your business. Um, and then I guess one thing that's different, right, is the, is the Times business is very search oriented. So that's Google. You guys are social. It's Facebook. But basically, you have two different platforms that are really sort of making and breaking your business. How do you think about? living with that reality and or is there a way to change that reality? Yeah, I mean, Sorry. I think uh, our, our pursuits in commerce in general extend beyond affiliate. Uh, so Amazon uh, in the affiliate business is obviously dominant for us. Uh, but as you look at BuzzFeed's play in commerce in general, uh, we're pretty well diversified and not necessarily dependent on, uh, on them not changing their rates or, or, or things like that, which if you're Amazon, you have every right to do and you probably you know, would make sense to once categories have reached a critical mass. But you guys are also sort of trying to sort of create your own network, right? Where you could work with merchants who aren't dealing with Amazon? Correct. Yeah, we are. Uh, we have kicked off building our own uh, affiliate network, if you want to use that term, uh, allowing Shopify merchants all around the world to sort of list their products in a editorial minded uh, platform that allows our writers to find products that are interesting and uh, that allows us to have a direct relationship with makers and merchants so, and kind of cut out all the people in the middle. So do those vendors have to make a choice between working with you guys, working with Amazon? It seems like you would always end up going with Amazon in terms of reach. No, they, they, they should. Uh, honestly, the people who have to make a choice are us. We have to decide where to, where to send that traffic. 
Uh, should we send it to Amazon, where you know most folks already have their credit card and converts at a really high rate, or should we send it directly to the merchant, who's probably giving us a higher commission, uh, but conversion's probably a little lower. So the the onus is on us to decide where where to best monetize via via the link. David, you guys, I think right after you bought the wire cutter, Amazon said, by the way, we're cutting our affiliate rates where they were X, and now they're going to be X minus Y. Um, I assume you kind of saw that coming or knew that was, I knew this deal was done, but you, you came after the deal was done, yeah, yeah. but but you're still aware of it. Um, do you see that sort of thing coming and plan for it? Or, and how do you deal with it once once the once Amazon says, by the way, we're paying you less? So, uh, you know, big picture, like right now in the world, Amazon, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks, um, the Apples, I mean, they're setting the rules of the digital ecosystem. You cannot have a business and not be interacting with these platforms. And I think the key for us is really always focusing on what are they interested in? Um, what is it that we're really good at and are distinctly good at? And how do we navigate those relationships so that both sides end up uh, winning in the end? So that's a way of saying you're always thinking about how to navigate that. Um, ben and I are both smiling. Yeah, yeah. Good not answer. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, listen, at the end of the day, um, Google, Amazon, even operating on Facebook, you always need to be aware of what's going on and uh, planning to make sure that you can make the most of that relationship, but also not be fully dependent. Put it this way, can you go to Amazon and say, hey, we're the New York Times. They're here. <laughs> Teresa, raise your hand. No, okay, she, she sorry. Ran away. Make um, it awkward. We, we, uh, we should get a different rate. Here's what we can bring to you. Um, and, is, and when you do make that pitch, is it just term, purely transactional volume, or is there something else that, that benefits Amazon when you work with them? Uh, you know, I, I can't speak to the, the specific details of our, about our relationship with Amazon, but I, I think what we do is we sit down, we have a conversation, and say, what are the things you care about from categories to products, you name it, so that we understand the playing field that they're looking at? And then we look at our readers and say, what are they interested in, and see where those two things come together. Uh, how does this work culturally at, at, for, both, for both your editorial teams, right? Usually, you know, up until now, there's been a really bright line between stuff that people who are writers and editors make and stuff that people on the advertising side make. We're blending those things a bit together, right? I'm assuming that when you're deciding what you're going to write about, one of the things you start thinking about is, is there a revenue opportunity here? Sure. How, how do you ask the writers and editors to, to balance those considerations? Uh, we ask them to just understand the, the, the lay of the land and how the networks work and, and, and which uh, you know, uh, uh, platform they should use uh, to find the, the best linking strategy. But it is completely on them to write their content and decide what products are, uh, are best to write and what products our audience will respond to. But if they turn to you and say, we found this awesome product and there's zero revenue opportunity for us, and by the way, we filled an entire post full of them, that can't go on forever, right? If it's a service to our readers and it becomes shared content that's also entertainment, we would have no problem with that. Yeah, and, and same for us. I mean, we, you know, we, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll kind of say at a highest level, where do we think our reader interest is? You know, we'll sometimes have a, a screen of saying where we think you know, there are opportunities of revenue. But when the editorial process begins for us and we're looking within a given category, um, the, the editors and writers are making decisions regardless of what the rates are. So we often pick products where we actually don't make any money. There was a wire cutter post I always think about where they spent thousands of words explaining what I think the best dongle was, the $2 <laughs> item, right? So if there's any revenue, it's minuscule as compared to a $500 TV. Um, and I always sort of wondered why they did that. It seemed like the point of that was to say, we're, we're so serious about what we're doing, we're going to spend thousands of words on a dongle. 
that makes us no money. Um, can that continue at the times? Can you guys continue spending those kind of resources on, on really low revenue items? Well, one thing I'd say is, you know, you'd be surprised. Um, dongles uh, do pretty well for us because at the end of the day, there's a lot of people interested in those sorts of things. So it's, it's ultimately a math Good question. dongle business. Good dongle business. <laughs> um, but there are other things we do. Um, something that was wildly successful for us, um, just from a reader interest perspective, but not a business perspective, was we did best menstrual cups. So like we're, we're looking we're at luck. Enunciate that so everyone can hear. Best menstrual cups. So you know we're we're really looking and saying where are reader interests and let's pursue that regardless of where the the revenue opportunity is and I think that's at the end of the day what's made Wirecutter so special and I think that's a kindred spirit to the times and why there was such kind of a, a great partnership there because at the end of the day yes we are planning at the macro level but we're giving um, our editorial team the runway to say where do we really think we can serve our readers and we know that even though not always we'll make money in the big picture we'll actually build that trust. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll work both ways. So Ben, you're itching to tell me about things that are not things affiliate. Things that are not likes. affiliate. <laughs> um, I've got a, a couple, uh, you guys sell stuff. You sell actual products that you guys are making. There's fidget spinners. We've got a couple of those. Yeah, we Cook did books. a fidget spinner and lip gloss combined yep. because we saw through our BuzzFeed data that the audience interested in fidget spinner content also is interested in lip gloss. You've got a content. fancy hot plate coming out this fall? Uh, it's a, it's, it is a smart induction cooktop, Peter, not a hot plate. Uh, but it does. It, co it connects with uh, it connects with the Tasty app, which has over 2,000 recipes. You tap on a recipe uh, you like, and and uh, and the one top will help you uh, cook your dish. So I get why you guys would be in the affiliate link business because that's a sort of direct layer on top of a thing you're already sure. making. Why are you making and selling stuff? It seems like a novelty. Is it a novelty or a business? No, it's a real business. Um, I I'd say we we create things when when other merchants haven't or can't. Uh, because of because of business models. So, I'll give you an example. Uh, when I first started the company, uh, we have a, a big brand called Tasty, which is uh, a global food brand. And um, uh, we've been talking to traditional publishers for years about making Tasty a cookbook. And the traditional publishing process takes uh, all years. And uh, we decided to self-publish cookbook, uh, make it a custom program where people can choose their recipes based on their uh, dietary preferences launched it in 30 days, and uh, instead of making publishing royalties, we made the complete margin on the program. Uh, it sold over 100,000 books in 30 days. Um, so we create the products when we believe we can do it faster and better uh, than going through traditional means. So again, I get sort of the, the move from Tasty, you're already doing recipes and, 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 and filming it. Now you're going to print it. That makes sense. The fidget spinners, the hot plates induction burner cook yeah. thing. So so on the, <laughs> I like your, your yeah. look right now. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so on the fidget spinner side of things, uh, we, we kind of wanted to test how responsive our supply chain was. We call our group the product lab, so there's a lot of experimentation so it, so it is that a, happens. The novelty is the disparaging word, but it, it, there is a, you are playing around with stuff and testing out. We are definitely playing ideas. around. But like the funny story about the, the fidget spinner is I thought it was going to be like a 30-day item and then die. I think last time I checked, it was still like the number nine SKU on Sephora.com right now. Um, which is crazy, and there's massive volume involved because when we create a product that's new and unique in the marketplace and then bring it to life uh, with all of the promotional uh, uh, juice of BuzzFeed and the storytelling of BuzzFeed, we create a hot item. Um, so as you start to sell more and more stuff, cookbooks, fidget spinners, the thing that I can't describe properly, but it's $150, um, are you going to run into channel conflict with your advertisers saying, wait, no, no, we're in the business of selling stuff. Yep. Um, you guys should stay out of it. 
Uh, it, it's possible. Uh, it's a little too early to, to say what kind of channel conflict would, would exist, but I, I think of our role at BuzzFeed is, is to think about what is what are all of the ways BuzzFeed could possibly make money off of a, off of a piece of content or off of a brand, and uh, if it makes sense for Tasty to partner with appliance makers in order to leverage their brand and, and monetize through advertising, then we'll, we'll go that route. If it makes sense to do it on our own, um, we'll, we'll do that as well. Uh, and then what about retailers? Can you work with them more directly since you've got this audience? Yeah, we, we like working with retailers. So what, what would that look like? <laughs> Theoretically. Well, yeah, so one program that I'm super excited about right now, which will be announced in a couple of weeks, uh, with a, a massive brick and mortar retailer, is we got a group of... So not Amazon. Not Amazon. Um, someone else has got a really big... Someone else, really big, yeah. Retail business. Um, so Based in Arkansas? So we, we got a, a group of, <laughs> so we got a group of, uh, I knew you were going to do this. Yeah. Uh, we got a group of BuzzFeed creative people together, sat them with merchants from this particular retailer, which will remain unnamed, uh, and uh, we, we let them uh, work with, with these merchants to understand what the white space was in the store and, and uh, where there were uh, areas of the store that hadn't seen newness and innovation um, like other categories had. They, we locked them in a room for seven days, literally locked them in a room for seven days. They created a brand new product together. Uh, that product is owned by the private label at that retailer. We then help them uh, get it through the supply chain and manufacture it quickly. It will wind up on store shelves in Q4 this year. Uh, and then we will do uh, our job bringing it to life through our platforms and through our channels. So it's kind of like the best of all worlds. We, we work together on a creative basis, we help them uh, uh, commercialize, and then we help them promote. Physical object in a physical store, yes. and then you guys will create media around that that promotes it, and Correct. you will also sell it on BuzzFeed? Yes, and, and because the product was created with the editorial mindset and the, sort of, uh, the data of BuzzFeed, we have a high degree of confidence that the promotion's gonna work a lot more effectively than a traditional ad would for an item like this. And so when I go to Target, or Walmart, Thank or you. another big retailer. Yes. Um, will it say this is a product from BuzzFeed? Will, it be, will there be BuzzFeed branding on it? We'll see. We'll there, see. There very well could be. Okay. Um, are you guys going to do Glenn Thrush fedoras, Maggie Haberman? I don't know what Maggie Haberman's trademark is. Is there stuff that you guys want to get in, want to sell? You, I mean, you do cookbooks, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, Some peripheral I, stuff. We, you know, we're, we're not. I think. Be, I think it makes a lot of sense for what, what BuzzFeed is doing. I think for us, you know, we're in the business of you know, figuring out what the best product is, and I think if we started selling our own branded versions of it, it would probably erode reader trust, and that's kind of the foundation of what we're going for. But again, you guys, I mean, I think a couple years ago, if I said, do you, do you imagine the Times is going to be in a business where you click on a link where you guys recommend a TV, and then all of a sudden you're getting compensated for that TV, I think probably the Times from three or four years ago would have said, no, we can't do that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's definitely a change, and, and I think... I think at the end of the day, you know, there was a there was a, a, a legacy feeling of there's got to be a wall between business and editorial. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, as long as there's a shared mission, a clear kind of north star of we're in this to serve the reader, and that's the best long-term business decision, and we can't violate that, then that opens up a world of possibilities to work together. And and so where so there's wire cutters is uh, gadgets. Yep. Um, you have the sweet home, which is home appliances. Is there going to be stuff where I'm going to be reading a New York Times book review and there'll be a link to, a, to, to Amazon or someplace where I can buy a book and that's pushed through through that same wire cutter team or, is, or will, that, 
Will there always be wire cutter branding and sort of? Yeah. Will, will, so, will, will I understand that this thing is a wire cutter product versus, versus a the, time story? Gotcha. So um, one of the things that we're we're actually announcing today. Um, is that in October we're going to be rebranding uh, Wirecutter and Sweet Home. And basically the, the, the rationale and the idea is... Rebranding them from what? From the Wirecutter and the Sweet Home to just Wirecutter. No the. Drop the the. <laughs> drop the the. Drop the the. Drop yeah. the Brilliant the. move. And you're um, also dropping the Sweet Home, so there's just Wirecutter. But we're actually going to retire. We're retiring the Sweet Home. And quite honestly, we're retiring the Wirecutter as people know it. Because I think the big opportunity that the Times saw and that we were excited about was the process that we've developed to review products that's really landed so well with readers, we felt we could take to lots of different categories. And deciding whether to go and launch new sub-brands and new websites and trying to spin those up, we just felt wasn't the right thing to do. Number one, we just felt like we should make it simple for readers, have one place and one brand they can turn to. Um, and quite honestly, people anecdotally even just say, I wish you did a wire cutter for this or a wire cutter right. for that. Um, so, you know, it's, it, Wirecutter is the brand through which we're doing the affiliate business. The Times is not, is not that focused. So, so it'll always be clear, like, because occasionally like, you'll do these collaborations where a yeah. tech writer will say, we work with the Wirecutter to tell you how to get the best Wi-Fi in your home. Um, but it's clear that the Wirecutter is this separate thing. Yeah. And so will, will there always be some sort of flag to the readers, this is our sub-brand? Yeah, I mean... Isn't, this isn't regular New York Times? Yeah, I mean, Wirecutter is... Very, uh, very practically, it is a subsidiary of the New York Times company. It right, is so the New York Times employees are not part of the newsroom. Exactly, exactly. It is a separate company. Um, but from a collaboration standpoint, we're figuring out the ways to kind of create, you know, close collaboration to say, if a New York Times audience is interested in figuring out what to buy or how to do this category, Wirecutter can provide the product. So as an example, um, our cooking product will say, here's the best way to grill a hamburger. And they'll have all these steps, and then Wirecutter content can come in and say, and here's the best grill, and here's the best spatula, and here's the best what, you know, oven mitt, whatever you need. So back to that, that book review uh, idea. So if I'm, if I'm uh, reading the, the Hillary Clinton book review yep. and then I click on a link, will Amazon or whatever bookseller is, is selling that book send money to you guys, or is that separate from the Wirecutter right now? Um, stuff that's really times-oriented like without wire cutter branding is New York Times affiliate revenue. Good. Um, ben, I wanted to ask you about your, your last job. We were talking backstage. You said the last time you did one of these, <laughs> these Q&As on stage, you got fired uh, a day later. Um, That's that was, true. That's uh, <laughs> so, accurate. So check in in a day. Yeah. Um, so that was two years ago, basically. It was. Um, and then your first, the, the business you had created, Quirky, actually declared bankruptcy, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Yeah, sure, um, thanks for bringing that up. You, I'm, thank you for talking with me about it. You, know, there's, there's, you write about technology and startups, there's all these euphemisms for companies that didn't yeah. work. They're all crushing it. Of course, they can't all be crushing it. Um, and they're aqua-hired or they're soft landings. You guys went to zero. Um, sure did. So <laughs> now you're working at BuzzFeed. So what is, what is starting a company, having a failed company, what, what, does that do, what does that experience do for you as a manager and, and employee at BuzzFeed today? Um, I think it's been, been helpful. Um, I, I, I say so not with like the cliche, like you have to fail before you succeed thing, because uh, I'm... Because you can I'm, keep failing. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, and likely will. Uh, but but my, uh, my experience with Gorgie, I think, was, was something that like I'm, I'm simultaneously 
incredibly proud of. I think we built something special there, but at the same time, incredibly embarrassed about and 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 kind of ashamed of. Uh, so I'm not like the well, it was it was a good experience to go through. Uh, it wasn't. It was horrible. Um, <laughs> and, but at the same time, as it relates to what I do now, I think it's just a hyper awareness around uh, the things that really matter uh, in business and 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 the things that don't and. Um, uh, and in understanding that 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 result is always is always there, and uh, you kind of have to be uh, uh, never kind of drink your own Kool Aid and understand that that's always an, an eventuality that may that may exist. Do you think you are more cautious now about decisions, um, or do you think actually because you've already gone through this, what's the worst that could happen? Um, I, I think uh, yes. I would probably say more cautious around decisions, but not. Not in, in, in a paralyzed kind of way. I would say I was very paralyzed in terms of decision making for the first year after Quirky. Uh, couldn't tell up from down, but I think uh, now it's a, a happy balance between understanding the, uh, the risks of things and, and the opportunity. And by the way, well. you did create a successful business after that, right? Which is how you got to BuzzFeed. They a bought a candle your company, business. yes, yes. A uh, candle company. We make candles that smell like where you're from, uh, homesickcandles.com. Uh, and yes, BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed is now selling. BuzzFeed runs a very successful candle business that's primarily driven on Facebook. And this was a business you built with Ricky Van Veen, who's at Facebook, Correct. Running, running the world there. Yeah, and Shurim three, other, three other guys, Shurim and, uh, and Aaron Dignan. So you can, you can survive Chapter 11, you get in the candle business, and it's yeah, all just up from there. Start pouring hot wax. Thank you for your candor. Thanks. Um, we have questions for these guys. Hi, I'm Lara Deem. I'm the founder and CEO of Dwell and Dwell.com, and we're also doing some affiliate sales on, online. Love and I was well. wondering, especially probably more appropriate for Ben, how you assess like whether to do affiliate or drop ship, and will you think maybe you'd have your own cart and be able to control uh, conversion? Yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons we call it Product Lab is we're experimenting with all sorts of models in uh, in commerce and transactions. So. Uh, affiliate is obviously like the, the lowest risk, uh, easy to, to churn out every day model, uh, but sometimes we are taking inventory on things that we have a high degree of confidence in or things where we think we could help the maker uh, kind of get to market quicker by, by leveraging our supply chain. Uh, dropship is another, uh, another model that we sometimes employ. It's really on a case-by-case -case basis. I, I like to think we try and do right by the product uh, and right by the opportunity. Right, so what's the what is the uh, best way to uh, to maximize the opportunity with this product uh, without you know uh, filing Chapter Eleven? Uh, <laughs> that's a joke. Avoid Chapter Eleven. <laughs> Other questions for these guys? Hi, my name is Jack Krishnamurthy, and uh, I've incubated a company called uh, Remo Commerce, which plays in video shopping. With respect to the things that you guys create. What's your take on video shopping? How does video play, and how, how does it play into the affiliate market? Can you guys talk about it? The question is video shopping. So I'm assuming this is looking at a video of something and then deciding to buy it. Yeah, uh, you know, we quite honestly we're not doing enough there, and we're we're actually um, currently going through a process where we're we're going around the country talking to readers to understand how do they make these purchasing decisions, and YouTube is a big big part of that. Um, and that's something that we're trying to figure out. We have not particularly done well there uh, historically. I think the big, the big question in video commerce is the platform of where people are, are, are consuming this video and, and where they're transacting. Uh, I think you know, the primary video platforms of YouTube and Facebook aren't quite there yet in terms of enabling shopping. Uh, I think everyone has aspirations to get there, but um, 
uh, but, but aren't quite there yet. Uh, Amazon yesterday uh, announced that they're going to allow shopping to happen on Twitch, which I think is incredibly exciting uh, because it's a highly engaged audience. You guys uh, all know what Twitch is? Maybe just remind people what Twitch yeah, is. Yeah, Twitch is uh, a, a, a live streaming uh, community, platform. community video platform uh, that is owned by, owned by Amazon. Um, so I think that, that kind of opportunity where it's kind of like already natively in Amazon world, the, the, the folks that watch the content there are enthusiastic about the content creators that they're, that they're watching, and uh, I think they're, the way they implemented it is, is super smart as well. So uh, I think it's really a, a, a discussion around what's, what's the platform going to be and where can you capture people's attention and then, and then drive the purchase. You guys are going to be shy. I have one last quick question. Um, a few years ago, there were a lot of media companies saying, we're now content and commerce companies. This is the new thing. We're very excited about it. And they all stopped saying that about a year later. Um, why do you guys think it's working for you folks now in 2017? Uh, yeah, I don't... Did something change in the industry or... I don't view what we're doing as like the, again, the cliche content and commerce thing. I think BuzzFeed has an amazing audience. New York Times has an amazing audience. We have a lot of IP and a lot of credibility in certain areas, and we are providing a service to our, uh, to our audience members that sometimes results in them you know, swiping their credit card and us you know, being on the receiving end of it. So. And I just say, I mean, you know, right now, there's just so much selection out there. I think that you know, when the business was founded, it's only become a greater pain point. You, know, you go and search on you know, any kind of retailer for a given product, and you're getting anywhere from tens to thousands of returns for a given product. And you know, you, people are doing this online. It's, you know, you've got less guidance out there, and I think there's a real opportunity for people who are doing it well. I think BuzzFeed's doing well. I think we're doing it well. Um, knowing the audiences at the right moments and being able to, to provide that solution for them. Okay. David, Ben, thank you both. Don't get fired at least the next day. Oh, you want to ask real quick? Uh, 30-second question? I'm I'm Ben Glassman. I'm from RevCascade, or Dropship Automation Technology. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about social media and influencers and sort of the the role that they've taken with with commerce. So obviously, affiliate links are are a big way that they monetize. Um, I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about, about... their future and, and, and what you think the next frontier is for, for influencers and social Talk media. Talk a tiny bit about it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a huge opportunity and uh, uh, I think it's a matter of creating tools that allow those influencers to, uh, uh, to have lots of different ways to transact. So uh, helping them find the right products to promote affiliate wise and, and so on. Seems like a business you guys be wary of, David. Maybe, maybe there's yeah. a Farhad Manju influencer program. I, I think, you know, quite honestly, this is where, you know, we're, we're zagging a little. I think if you look at, at, at this kind of ecosystem, what's going out there, there's a very good reason that these influencers are coming up. Um, but we think that there's actually, you know, a real trust gap in general. Most people are triangulating these days. They're looking at Amazon comments. They're going to multiple sources. And I think what we want to do is be able to kind of double down and say, we do that process for you. Because so we are the New York to, Times. We are Wirecutter. We are, exactly. We don't need an influencer. Exactly. Good. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Remember to leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Replay, and be sure to check out our other podcasts. Every Monday, I host Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. On Thursdays, you can hear Recode Media, in which Peter Kafka interviews the smartest and most interesting people in the media world. And on Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. 
You can find all these shows and more at Recode.net or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>